Hello, in today's episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast, we're talking to Lou Davey from the Pensions Regulator about what value for money means to her. Hello and welcome to the 28th, yes, 28th episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast. And as ever, I couldn't be happier to be joined by my co-host, the one and only Nico Aspinall. Hello, hello, everybody. And of course, I'm delighted, delighted to be joined uh, by my co-host, uh, Darren Phil. Did you have a good time at the cricket yesterday, Darren? I did, yeah. Um, got a full day's play, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. I was expecting some rain. Um, I saw lots of wickets, but the wickets were of the wrong variety. Yes. Um, I think um, David Harris would be very pleased. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a really nice day. Um, went with my dad and a, and a couple of other people. And yeah, it was uh, very chilled. Very chilled. Good. Um, Good. So, so we've had a... Uh, I think it was two weeks ago where we had um, all of these government consultations came out. Um, mm. And it does feel like and we're starting to enter the summer now. Um, which is quite nice. Um, and it's great to be joined by um, Lou Davey um, from the Pensions Regulator. And Lou is Interim Director of Regulatory Policy Analysis and Advice. Uh, welcome, Lou. Good morning. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Not at all, not at all. And, and you've been, welcome, yeah, yeah and, and we'll do some bio stuff a bit later, um, as always with the podcast. But you've been at TPR 16 years. Yeah, that's right. I had my TPR Sweet 16 there just a couple of weeks ago, actually. So, uh, uh, yeah, you either love you either love pensions or you love Brighton. <laughs> a combination of both. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much for for joining us. Um, and yeah. as ever with the podcast, we start with the news. Um, so, what have you got for us, Lou? Yes, so I have got uh, a story that it's been picked up in a few places, but um, in pension and investments um, on the uh, report published by Carbon by um, Carbon Tracker yesterday, mm, loading right. the dice against pensions. Um, so, uh, so reporting on how uh, there are claims that consultants are relying on flawed climate research when um, advising trustees on, on climate scenarios. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just looking at the Carbon Tracker website and, and picking out some of the quotes. Um, so it's, it's sort of the press release website. So they've got from Tony Burden, obviously, Make My Money Matter. Uh, this report shows that the climate models but used by our pension schemes are not only implausible, they're dangerous too. Um, so-called expert advice is underpinning investments of millions, uh, but jeopardizing both pensions and the planet. Uh, so, yeah, hard-hitting stuff from, from, from Carbon Tracker. What I mean, obviously, you're you're kind of in the in the driving seat to some extent, or the um, you're, you're certainly on the bus somewhere next to all the pension schemes using this this wrong advice. What's the what's the kind of line from TPR? Are you are you thinking about climate change and climate scenarios? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've uh, we've obviously been focusing on um, the kind of first round of TCFD reporting that's been that's been taking place, and um, we've we've been reviewing reviewing those, um, but that's been kind of focusing on. Um, 
on on the kind of reporting side and making sure that that, that you know the right kind of areas are being considered. Obviously, you know we're we're really um, aware that this is um, you know mm. TCFD and the kind of you know consideration of climate change is still sort of in its infancy yeah. um, in in the pension space, and there is you know it does need to evolve. Um, but although, although you know, in light of some of these reports, it probably needs to evolve at a, a quicker pace um, than, mm. than it is. And, and we do recognise that. Um, and I think, you know, reports like this are a really welcome contribution, actually, to, to it's, it's really important and obviously very complex area that does, you know, have a direct um, if, um, impact on savers' outcomes. So, mm. um, so it's, you know, it's, it's great that, that reports like this are out there and it gives trustees... Uh, more of a footing to kind of really challenge their advisors um, because that's something you know we're we're really keen that trustees are in a good position to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so the the the, the findings here are so stark. So, just reading again, so on the Carbon Tracker press releases, um, so the scientists looking at five degrees of global warming says the damages are beyond catastrophic, including existential threats. Um, and economists looking at six degrees of global warming say that it might reduce global GDP by less than 10% compared to what GDP would have been in the absence of climate change, i.e. still a lot higher than it is today. Right. So it's this incredibly stark difference between, you know, the scientists who, who are just thinking about, I guess, humans' ability to survive on this planet, and the economists who are just, what is it? Know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Indeed. <laughs> Um, and their models and the integrated assessment models, uh, I, I think, uh, kind of in the line of fire here, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, there's obviously the um, Emperor's New Climate Scenarios, I think, was a, a report that came out a couple of weeks ago, co-sponsored between Exeter and the IFOA, um, and uh, probably was less um, apocalyptic. Uh, maybe than the carbon tracker uh, kind of framing of this, but very much picking up on exactly the same points. I mean, what do we do about it? Are we are we sort of doomed, or uh, is there a way for you through here to get pension schemes actually reacting to climate change? Do you think? Well, I think you know, as, as I said, I think you know, it's really important that these these kind of differing kind of viewpoints, if you like, are out there, and, and you know, it, it kind of enables that debate to happen and. Clearly, you know, there, there seems to be sort of two extremes there um, at the moment. But, you know, trustees really need to be thinking and and really, you know, kind of uh, quizzing their advisors on actually the uh, the scenarios that are being put before them. I mean, mm. I, I, I get, you know, we're, we're talking we're talking very long term, uh, but the focus has to be on savers' outcomes. And those outcomes for savers are going to be in, you know, 20, 30, 40 years' time. Um, mm. So... You know, we do need to kind of be thinking um, along those kind of timescales. And I think, you know, if, if, if this is, you know, speaking from personal, if, if I was a trustee and, and I was being presented with a scenario as extreme as that and then being told that it wasn't going to have very much impact at all on <laughs> on, mm. on, on kind of economic scenario, I, I, I would probably say, really? But that, that just, you know, um, just instinctively doesn't sound doesn't sound plausible and I would want to make sure that I was given you know a real in-depth explanation of, of yeah. how that that assessment has actually been made mm. and we've, um, we've we've talked about these issues quite a lot on this podcast Nico um, mm. and um, one of the things and it's probably slightly difficult for you to comment on Lou uh, but you know I, I can't see a way 
um, through this unless we have governments and collective action that really, really takes it seriously. So um, I 100% agree that um, you know asset owners need to do their bit, um, but but also I think very much that you know we need that political momentum and political drive uh, because ultimately it's a political challenge, mm. and there's some there's some difficult trade offs there. And I was reading in the, the papers I think over the weekend, um, and 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 you can see ahead of the next election that some of the you know some of the politics behind this now. Yeah, are you know? Are we going to go as 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 as, as full and fast on on tackling the climate crisis as we were otherwise going to be? You know, people talking about um, you know, are we going to, you know, are we are we going to extend the um, the timetable to you know ban new combustion engines? And you know, mm-hmm. it's I don't know, it's that short term, long term trade off, um, and we know that the short term wins on it. Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got two two thoughts. So. Um, one is, do you remember, Darren, when um, uh, we had the DG Publishing uh, DC Summit earlier this year, we had Julius Purcell on stage. We did, yeah. Um, and there was a question from the floor, I think actually Nick Spencer, who may, I'm not sure he was a co-author of the Emperor's New Climate Scenarios, but he's been doing some work on biodiversity with the life as well. Hmm. Um, and he asked essentially to Julius, and I can't remember who was next to him, um, you know, w- w- what should governments do about climate, uh, climate change? And I think Julius basically gave a two-word two answer, which is a, a carbon tax. Carbon tax, yeah. Um, and then the person next to him gave a, a, a more full answer, and uh, Julius sort of deferred to the full answer. But I, I really took away carbon tax. Yeah. Um, so, so the other bit was just um, I, I'm not sure that thinking about 2050 and 2100 in the context of investments is that useful. Because the further out into the future you go, the more we're just looking at our beliefs projected and the economics beliefs projected is is like money is everything. And the scientists beliefs projected are about, uh, you know, what the atmosphere will do with, with so much more radiative forcing from the sun. Mm. Um, and it's just two different worlds of belief. And it's just, you know, there is no empiricism on the future where there's no data created. So you sort of can't reconcile those beliefs. But I do think that investors thinking about that carbon tax and the transition should be getting ahead of the curve, should be able to say what would happen to our portfolio if governments woke up to the fact. And uh, the story I was gonna do was the um, BBC picked up, I think it's the Met Office. So last year, 2022, where we broke all of the temperature records in Britain, by the end of the century, we'll be thinking of that as a cool year. (laughs) Wow. Shocking, right? So at some stage, governments are gonna wake up and go beyond actually the sort of uh, treaty step of the Paris Agreement and move into carbon taxes. And that for me is the thing that, that investors have to get ahead of. Yeah. Um, because it, you know, the, the PRI calls this the inevitable policy response, right? Mm. So yeah, I'd, I'd be looking at scenarios in the much closer term and stress testing portfolios for that carbon tax. And for someone like the pensions regulator to go, you must have a stress test of a $50, $100 carbon tax, which lands in 2024. Tell me how much money, you know, your members lose today because you're overexposed to high polluting industries with no transition plans. The, um, the Treasury would never, the Treasury would never allow that, Nico. <laughs> well, um, I know, I know that the Treasury ministers, I'm sure, will be listening in. So uh, that's, that's, that's my appeal. Right? Uh, that's my appeal. <laughs> Um, but uh, you know, PRA does uh, climate stress tests 
um, again, with the same flawed models, and um, they may have flawed results. Um, but uh, you know, it's not. It, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to stretch to put those stress tests into pensions. Mm. So, so yeah, what have you got? No, oh, sorry, Lou. No, I, I mean, and I was just going to say, you know, we should, this isn't just an issue. This isn't just a pensions issue. You know, this no. this modelling um, scenario modelling goes way beyond just pensions across, mm. you know, across lots and lots of different different facets of, uh, of of the of the market. So I think, um, yeah, then there, there needs to be there needs to be a kind of consistent approach to it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you got for Nico? Um, yeah, so I picked up a story on um, so uh, DC pension holders now waiting in an average of 29 days for, for transfers, uh, which came from professional advisor. Um, now, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the kind of headline is, is a bit shocking, right? Um, and uh, b- below the line, um, they're discussing and you know, this is, I'm sure uh, they, they, they've, they have a chance to comment and, and will be putting out their own numbers. But XPS administration called out for taking 120 days on average to transfer funds. So, you know, I've, I've got pretty simple arrangements. Um, if I was to move one of my DC pots to, you know, one of, one of my many DC pots to one of my many other DC pots, <laughs> um, I'd be pretty shocked if it took 29 days, let alone uh, 120. Um, but I guess... Darren, you in prep, you were saying, you know, there, there are complex people, right? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've, we've talked about transfer times um, on this podcast before. And, mm. um, you know, some of the, the toing and froing that goes on between organisations. Um, and, and I think that, you know, for me, um, like, surveys like this are headline grabbing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they have their place, um, but 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 really, we need to take a step back and think through, you know, what do we want a good transfer process to achieve? Yeah, uh, we we obviously don't want to um, expose people to scams. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we should not, or we should definitely not um, substitute um, time and quickness. Um, and, and increase the risk of pension scams because that will just yeah, um, yeah. take us back. I think there is then um, something around informed choice, yeah. Um, and when people are moving their pensions, yes, you want it to be smooth. Yes, you want them to be able to do it very quickly, but they should be taking time to consider um, the information and making a good choice. It's not like yeah. just switching a current account. It's not like switching a short-term savings account. You know, you, these um, these decisions, you know, can have quite big impact implications on people. And impacts mm. on people. I think that once you've been through all that, then you know the, the the actual process of the transfer. So the not 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 the not the checking for scams, not the um, you know is it the right thing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But as soon as someone has gone into execution mode, yeah, that's where we need to get more efficient and better. Yeah, yeah. and and I and I think that quite often with surveys like this, they conflate all of those issues. Yeah, and that's not helpful to anyone. Um, like yeah. we know that you know the work that XPS has done on pension scams has been you know market leading and brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know they've won awards for it. Um, you know, and if 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 if, if their transfer process uh, takes slightly longer because they're stopping people getting scammed, then really that should be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Lou, you, you, you've obviously TPR has done a lot of work on pension scams. What's your mm-hmm. kind of thoughts on this on this headline? 
Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I think you know, I, I, I agree with with the kind of what what Darren set out. Really, I mean, it is a balance, um, and it, it is important that the time is taken to do those scams check, but um, to make sure that that you know savers are are being protected. Uh, I think there's something about needing to really manage savers' expectations when they're going into the process of requesting mm. a transfer and being really clear with them about you know the steps that that the the provider, the administrator needs to needs to go through as part of that transfer, and that it is about protecting protecting them. And actually, savers have a role to play in that as well by making sure that they're providing all of the information that's needed um, to enable those checks to be carried out. So, so I think, yeah, I agree. It can be, you know, it'd be interesting to see what, what those figures look like if you separate out, actually, this was the time spent doing the scams checks and this is the time that it actually took to process the transfer. Yeah. But I think um, this is going to be an interesting one for the uh, value for money framework, I think, because obviously um mm kind of promptness and accuracy of transactions is is one of the components of the quality of service piece and so yeah. how how we define that um in in the transfer um space is, is going to be an interesting one to look at i think mm-hmm. yeah i was also thinking about so if you make a payment from a bank um then then uh if that goes to uh you know a fraudster um then essentially there is a there is a compensation fund that the banks have all co-contribute to, um, which which reimburses you, and I'm sure there's there's lots of controversy as to whether it does or doesn't. Um, but yeah, I was sort of thinking about whether some some something next to uh, you know those kind of scam checks potentially taking 120 days, um, whether there might be something that you you kind of uh, self-insure as a group and, and it kind of shorten the process a bit. But it's it's a very, I know it's a very different context. Um, So, Darren, what have you got for us? Yeah, so um, I've got a piece from Professional Pensions, um, and it was researched by Standard Life, um, where it says over 55s expect to spend a third of tax-free cash within six months. And the research also finds that women are more likely to spend a larger proportion of um, their lump sum. Um, Mm. I don't think this is is particularly surprising um, research. Uh, but for me, um, and we might come on to talk about some of this later, it does really um, point to the need to having you know, a good framework for decumulation of schemes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that the, the DWP consultation on that retirement and you know, looking at imposing duties on trustees um, to, to, to offer you know, good retirement options you know, has got to be a sort of step in the, step in the right direction. Um, my, my one concern with that consultation, and I was mentioning this to a few people earlier this week, is that I think that the, the consultation very much focuses on product. Yeah. And yeah, products are important, but how you get the right people into the right product at the right time is even more important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the key element that's missing from this consultation, and I think the DWP are committing to consulting on that later this year. But I think for me, the the trick's been missed here in that, you know, you've got to consider these issues in the round. You've got to consider these issues holistically. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, we're moving in the right direction on this stuff. Um, but I think research uh, like this just shows that, um, you know, we, we, we can't be doing this stuff soon enough. Mm-hmm. And is, is there any indication of what they do with the other two thirds? 
So um, is this sat in a bank account still, or has that moved on? Um, not that I've seen. Um, as I say, I'm only looking at the professional pensions article. Uh, but yeah, I'd imagine it could well be sitting in a current account uh, with a very low interest rate, um, you know, waiting for the next big item of expenditure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lewis, is the accumulation going to be kind of doubling up again? Yeah, I mean, uh, for, for TPR, it's one of our, it's certainly one of our priorities. Um, you know, we're, we're really pleased um, that the, the consultation um, that has that has gone out, um, we think it, you know, we, we really want this to move on. Um, we think it's, you know, it, it's not good enough for, for savers to kind of be just cut loose at the point of <laughs> the point that they, you know, they reach the point where they, they, they want to stop working and access their access their pension benefits or, or do both. Um, and there needs to be there needs to be more in place to support. I think, you know, uh, the advice and guidance um, piece does sit very strongly alongside this. And I think there yeah. is still work to do, both looking at what can be done now within the existing um, kind of regulatory perimeters, if you like, um, but um, but also how can, how can that evolve in the future and what more support can be can be provided to savers. I mean, we, we've been talking a bit this week and DWP have obviously been promoting uh, the midlife MOT as, yep. as a kind of mm. mechanism to try and get people thinking about this sooner so that they can think actually, you know, what are these choices that are coming up? What is it that I actually want to do um, later in my life? And therefore, how do you know, that, what does that then mean for the shape of my of my retirement income? Um, and I think, you know, that's that's that can only improve things, but it's about making sure that enough people um, get um, signposted into that system and use it um, and then at the other end that there is the right support and guidance to um, to help them at that, at that decision point as well hmm. yeah it's difficult it's difficult isn't it um, well to be continued to indeed be continued. I think that's mm-hmm. that we should say at the end we go like and that's all the news <laughs> <laughs> we need a little riff maybe you could do something on your piano again okay Oh yeah, well I could do little. Uh, I was I was doing thinking about doing some infills. All right, um, so let's move <laughs> on to to to, to you, Lou. Um, uh, as you know, we have two questions. Uh, so the first one, uh, Lou, tell us how you got into pensions. Yeah, so, so well, I think like probably ninety percent of the industry, I, I sort of got into it by accident. Um, <laughs> uh, I uh, what what I. I Left um, sixth form college with um, with all the intentions of going to um, university to do a degree in sports science, mm-hmm. um, and uh, to to kind of you know bolster the coffers a bit for that beforehand. I uh, I took a temping job um, at a pension provider company in Worthing, um, where I was working on this thing called the pensions mis-selling review. And I, I remember very clearly the very first task I had was I had a stack of about two thousand. Um, mis-selling pro formers put in front of me that I right. had to put in policy number order. That was, <laughs> that was my... <laughs> so I, I, having made it through that task, I thought, well, yeah. I can do that. I can do anything, can't I? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, um, I ended up, that, that temping job, which was, which was meant to just see me through for a few months, um, uh, I ended up uh, staying there for um, seven years. So I was I was one of the, the kind of first people into the, the project review team and I was the last person out. Um, mm. And, it you know, it turns out that actually I, I found pensions to be quite fascinating. Um, mm. 
and and the, the the substantive role that I sort of ended up doing there was was actually you know into the the depths of the kind of um, loss assessment calculations, which involved you know scrutinising scheme rules and all of that kind of thing, and uh, um, and I found it absolutely fascinating actually, and I think it was probably a really good grounding for me in terms of you know getting a, a really good experience across a kind of whole breadth of different types of pension schemes um, in that role. Um, and so, yeah. So, I, obviously, I didn't. I didn't go to university in the end. I, I took the route of uh, of staying and uh, and doing um, kind of professional pensions qualifications um, instead mm. through that role. Um, and yeah, so that's that was where I started. And um, and after that, uh, I moved on and I worked um, in pensions administration for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, which which was you know a, a really really interesting time. Um, and I think, you know, the thing that struck me working working for a pensions administrator is actually, um, it's a really tough job, but it, it's actually also a really interesting job. I think, you know, people always do think anything that's got administration in the title of it sounds very, very boring, but actually, um, it's, um, but, it, but, you know, it's, it's obviously, as we know, it's one of the most important things um, in terms of, you know, delivering, delivering people's retirements um, and, um, yeah. And it and it was it was a really you know interesting role with a great team of people and I think mm. you know it's it's a shame that uh, that the industry is struggling to get um, more people in um, because it can be you know it can be really fascinating and and you know really a good career to get into I mm. think yeah. Um, yeah. so um, but after I, I did so I did that for a few years and then I went to work for the pensions advisory service um, so I. Um, and I wasn't there for very long, actually. Um, but the time that I did spend there, um, I thought, you know, it was absolutely fantastic organisation. Um, and, you know, the, the the job that they do and, and you know, the people that they, they helped. I mean, obviously, it's now now um, MAPS as we as we know it today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such a valuable service, I think, to people. And it was one of the most rewarding roles I've ever done, I think, um, in terms of just that day-to-day contact with people um, yeah. and, you know, knowing that you know you put the phone down it's not all you didn't always give them the news that they wanted to hear or the, the response that they wanted um and it could be you know quite emotionally draining at times mm. but uh, but at least you knew that people were um, leaving those conversations um with a better understanding than they had before they before they started and um mm. you know that was um that was a really great role but uh, but yeah i think it was i was i was on on the train um up to um up to T-Pass uh, one morning and I was reading the, the Metro on the train and um, yeah, I saw a job advertised in Brighton at the pensions regulator and, uh, and I thought, oh, that sounds, that sounds very interesting. Um, and, uh, and I applied for that uh, and that was 16 years ago um, yeah. <laughs> that, I, that I first started at the pensions regulator um, and I started in a role where I was essentially, you know, it, we, we the pensions regulator only really did DB regulation then, and I was part of the DB funding case team. Um, so I was, you know, scrutinising uh, valuations and recovery plans, and um, that, that's where I started. But I, I quite quickly moved into the policy team because after after a year or so, I moved into into the policy team, mm. um, and and yeah, and that's and that's kind of where I stayed. I've worked across DB um, policy, um, most recently um, DC policy. Um, but also all of the governance and administration piece um, in between. So, so yeah, and um, I moved uh, after kind of, you know, going through several roles in the policy team, 
I spent um, the last uh, two years or so as head of the policy team. Um, and yeah, and then I, I moved into the director role uh, when David Fairs left earlier this year. So, um, so yeah, um, it's, a, it's a fascinating place to work and it's never boring. There's always new mm. challenges. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've got a new CEO as well. That's right. Yes. Yes. So, um, uh, Nasca Delfa, she joined us at the beginning of April. Mm. Um, and yeah, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's a really exciting time at TPR at the moment. I think, um, you know, uh, Nasca is, is, has been talking a lot about the need for industry to have a mindset, mindset shift. Yep. Um, and, right. um, yeah. and that's certainly something that's happening at TPR at the moment as well. Um, and yeah, so there, there's there's a lot going on, um, a lot of exciting, a lot of exciting work, and all at a very exciting time with so much stuff happening, um, happening outside of TPR as well, with, yep. with all of the you know the Mansion House announcements and everything. So, mm-hmm. so it's been a, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a roller coaster ride over the last uh, over the last few months, and um, but yeah, really really interesting time and, and very exciting time to be at TPR. I think. Good, mm-hmm. good, and, and are you enjoying your your role as, as director? Oh yeah, well you know I've I've spent I've spent the last uh, you know the last few months just sitting around twiddling my thumbs. Yeah, yeah, a huge oak panelled office. That yeah, 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 exactly. Somebody's <laughs> ironing the FT for you. And, 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 and you're doing um, regular blogs now as well. I and am. I, I am. Yes. 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 Yes, no, it's the, I, I'm really enjoying the role, actually. I mean, obviously, I, I was heading up the policy team before, mm. um, but now I have, um, I also have all of our um, kind of uh, professional advice um, teams under us as well. So legal actuarial um, investment consultants um, and our covenant financial analysts. And um, right. they are a great team of people and they're, they're you know, there's so much expertise in my team. It's, it's quite astounding actually. Yeah. And, um, mm. um, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's a great role to be in, um, and working with a great team. Yeah. I think one of the most impressive things about TPR is, is just the, the quality of people that, that seem to have been there. Um, and, and, and you know, the, 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 I don't know what, what the secret sauce is, but obviously your recruitment seems to be pretty good. See ya, Nico. See ya. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> Is that how to do it? We, we need to move businesses to the coast. The coast. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what attracts the best talent. Um, but uh, just thinking about our podcast, Aaron, I mean, how many, how many people through TPR's doors have we had? We've had, oh, lots, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it just seems to be, uh, you know, a great place to work, attracting good talent, maybe not retaining all of that talent, but uh, I'm sure there's, there's a, a, a great kind of uh, spirit there. Um, and uh, yeah, it seems like a really interesting, from the outside, it's always seemed like quite, I don't know, you get this view of a regulator when you read the news and you hear about Ofcom and off what, and who knows. Um, but TPR feels, I think, somehow quite different. Yeah, and I think I think it's, um, you know, we do have, you know, lots of people coming in and and um, and then and then kind of you know going going back out again and uh, but I think you know as a as a regulator it's, it's really important that we have you know a kind of new flow of uh, of talent coming in um, mm. bringing you know the kind of recent industry experience mm. with them and we've got you know really successful secondment programs as well to help us achieve that mm, yeah. um, because you know we, we have to we have to stay on top of what's going on and, and that's um, you know a really important part of how, how we can make sure we're doing that yeah. Yeah, and I just want to go back to the mis-selling. Um, 
<laughs> so, you know, that was it a sort of summer job? Were you were you kind of like at what point did you decide not to do sports science? That's what that's what I'm sort of wondering. Well, if I'm being brutally honest, the point I decided not to do it was when um, I was about to leave and they said, please stay, um, we'll we'll pay you a lot more money than we're paying you at the moment. And I said, yes, so so actually, yeah, um, uh, that that was, you know, as, as a kind of 18 year old at the time, that was a very attractive offer to me. And, mm-hmm. and that's what that's what kind of kept me there. But actually, um, well, that's what you know, that's what, you know. I made that decision for but but what kept me there for for such a long period of time is the fact that it, it turned out to be such an interesting job um mm. to to be doing and i had the i had the advantage as well of you know lots of my friends went off to university um i was working full-time but i i kind of went and visited them at weekends so i kind yeah, of had yeah. university at the weekends and then with money. <laughs> but i didn't i didn't have i didn't have the debt to go with it yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds good <laughs> That's a good way of doing it. So I did my gap year. I did a surprise gap year, um, which was that I, I, I failed to get into the university I wanted to. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I did a year of working and, and similarly went and, and, you know, dropped in on various student unions around the country. Um, so I had a similar experience. It was definitely a good way to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I think this is almost a nice segue into a value for money conversation, um, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, so we know how you got into pensions, uh, Lou, uh, but, you know, um, what is value for money and what does it mean to you? Yeah, so so I think um, value value for money, you know, for me is, is, is basically getting getting the best possible outcome for the, for the money that you mm. pay. Um, and, and, you know... Obviously, we've set out quite clearly, along with you know DWP and um, and the FCA, that in pensions that really means strong investment returns um, and a good quality service for, for for reasonable reasonable fees. So um, so that you know, and I think that carries through to lots of lots of other things. I think for me personally, I think I I, I, I have an analogy that I think about. So I, I like to do a bit of running. Um, and I have learned um, over the years that, that buying a, a cheap pair of running shoes um, does not get me very far, or at least not without you know a fair amount of pain and discomfort right, yeah. <laughs> setting me yeah. back. Um, and so you know, uh, I've learned that actually it's it's much it's much better to to pay a bit more for a good pair um, because it's a far better investment and it gets me much further for longer. Um, and it and it makes my running a much more comfortable and enjoyable experience. And I think you know that that translates across that kind of encapsulates value for money for for me. And I think you can translate that across to um, to value for money in pensions as well. Is actually yeah. what we want is for for savers to have you know a good outcome, um, a, a comfortable retirement that you know that's um, that, that they're getting what they need um, at the time that they need it. So. Um, so yeah, I think that that seems to me to be quite a neat analogy and one that that um, mm-hmm. you know works for me personally very well. So yeah. um, I think we had, we had Robert Cochran on the uh, the pod, didn't we, Nico? Um, mm-hmm. And he, he he did some LinkedIn surveying um, about you know before his appearance and was just you know asking the question of what you know value for money means to people, and and I think um, you know we can we can talk about metrics, we can talk about measuring, we can talk about framework. Um, but but actually just taking a step back and just doing that, okay, well, what does it mean to you personally? What do you value? You know, um, the quality cost trade-off, yeah, I think is incredibly powerful. And I think that, you know, um, 
all the metrics in the world don't necessarily um, deliver great outcomes, but we just need to we just need to frame it, um, you know, in, in in those simple terms. So I love I love that example. I love that example. Um, it, just 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 thinking about uh, TPR and value for money, and you guys have done loads of work on this over the years. Yeah, and I know, I know it's a key focus of the debate um, at the moment. Um, but you know, you guys have been talking about this for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, to me, though, that the, the narrative has changed. Yeah, or, the, or let's not call it change. Let's call it. A, let, you know, we've we've had an evolution of the narrative on this, because just going back to the early days of auto enrollment, you know, um, and discussions we probably had, Lou, about uh, charge caps and you know um, the competitive pressure in the market and, and that, and and you know, I, it has. I, I think it's welcome that the shift has moved away from cost to value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, why did it take so long? Why yeah. was why, why was why was the focus relentlessly on cost for all of those years? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I think at the time when you know when the focus was on a charge cap and things, I think that was that was the right thing at that time. Mm. Um, obviously, we'd had the we'd had the OFT report that um, you know sort of showed that. Um, charges were too high yeah. um, across across a lot of pension products. Um, so I think uh, you know the introduction of the charge cap it has it has done its job. Um, yeah. You know it it is absolutely done what it was intended to do, but it has been very hard to shift away from that focus. And I think partly that's because well, really, you know, it's the easiest thing to do, isn't it? You know, it's much easier to kind of interpret yeah. cost and to. Um, uh, and to articulate it, yeah. um, I, I might keep transaction costs out of that because we know what a challenge it's been to sort of try and get <laughs> a consistent disclosure around that. But um, but you know, generally, it's 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 a kind of easy go to, and it's something that people understand. Um, and and yeah, that that's so. I think that's why it's been quite hard to shift away from. But I think you know what's really welcome now is that we seem to have reached a kind of tipping point in terms of you know the penny dropping around. Well, actually. You know, no, there does need to be something that, you know, looked at much more broadly here. Mm. And what we, you know, I think with the with the value for money framework, what we what we want it to deliver, you know, is it, it's going to show the other side of the balance sheet um, yep. and, and enable that value, um, that value decision to be made. Uh, but it isn't an easy thing to do. And I think, you know, that's what it has taken a long time because it isn't easy. It isn't easy. No, no. Um, but but you know we but that doesn't mean we, we shouldn't be doing it and so I think you know a lot of parts of industry might find it quite uncomfortable you know having to having to disclose lots more information um, and actually seeing on paper what that looks like against um, against other institutions as well so yeah. um, it, it might be a bit of a painful process but I think it's an absolutely necessary one and 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 there's we've, we've again we've talked about some of this before uh, but the role of the employer in all this. Yeah, mm. and the role of consultants, um, because you know, y- yes, you can produce a value for money framework. Yes, we can all talk about the the focus should be on value, not just on costs. Um, you know, but you speak to people within the industry, and it's a very price driven market. Um, how do how do we move the dial on that, Lou? Yeah, I think. Um I think we have to keep just pushing in in this direction. I think with the with the broader information, the broader value information being um, 
available mm. um, that they you know then then there will be little excuse for not looking at that broader picture um, but there has to be there has to be the kind of the, the demand um, there um, I employers do have a really important role to play and I think there's probably more that we can do um, to to guide employers about the things to think about when they're selecting um, when they're selecting a pension scheme for for their employees yeah um, I think also, um, you know, I mean, we've already got a lot of employers who are, uh, you know, they've they've got their provider. You know, we don't we don't see employers switching very much. You know, <laughs> so um, there is something about how can we make sure that uh, in in the next phase, I think, you know, the first phase of the value for money framework is kind of it, it, it's probably going to be at a level that's 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 too complex for employers to interpret on the face value, but. The consultants that they go to should be able to do that. And over time, as we refine it and um, look to make look to make what the framework is showing um, more digestible, then it should be something that employers can access as well directly to help them make help them make decisions. But that has to go alongside a narrative that says, "Well, look, employers, you know, putting putting your people into a pension scheme." It needs to be a good quality pension scheme, and here are the tools to help you decide whether what you've got is delivering that. Um, but, but would a small employer ever look to change their scheme? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, so you know, I think it's it's it, it, it's 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 hard enough for them just to do the basic admin. Um, and I, 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 you know, I, I, I sense that um, the vast majority of smaller employers, not all of them, but the vast majority, you know, just want to be compliant with the auto enrolment regs, which is a good thing. Um, but you know, like things would have to go very, very wrong for someone to look to move from Nest to another master trust, or you know, uh, they're they're just not thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, and I and I and I agree with that. And you know, and that's not that's not that different from what we see with some of the very small schemes as well. Is that exactly you know, some, yeah. some of those? You know, <laughs> um, so it, and, and it is it is very very difficult to, to influence um, influence that. But I think you know what one the other important thing about the value for um, value for money framework is you know it, it should drive that competition. And so yeah. actually, what we want to ensure is that as a result of the framework, we don't have any schemes that are not providing good value for money. We yeah. do want to see that consolidation yeah. of the market. We want to see those poor value schemes ceasing to exist. Um, and then what's left, you know, it should be a real driver of competition. So actually, if you've got a small employer that is in one of the one of the biggest schemes, um, then, you know, there should be decent value being offered across the piece there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, um, you know, you're using transparency and trying to create... Um, you know more competition between those big schemes even if the employers aren't acting on it you're you're hoping i think that um the schemes will want to you know be best in class um compared mm-hmm. to their peer group and i think that you know for me that means that we just need metrics that make sense and have teeth um my fear is that if every scheme is just um you know comes up green on the on the rag then you know it it, it um, it, it won't necessarily do its job. I think we need, we need to make sure that there is differentiation, um, and, and and we keep moving the bar up on this stuff over time as yeah. well. Yeah, I, I, I want to ask agree. you, Lou. I want to ask you, Lou. So, so we we talked about running shoes. So I I took that to mean that we should be focused on the kind of outcome 
so the outcome of you being able to uh, go go further for longer. So, so what is the what is the rubber hitting the road? Maybe that's this is the first time I've managed to use that analogy, that phrase, correct? <laughs> <laughs> what is the rubber hitting the road of a DC pension scheme? Is it you know when you retire? Is it the service you get? You know when you call them or try to transfer in or out? What what is the rubber hitting the road for you? Well, I think it's a combination of all of those things, really. I mean, it's about, I think um, it is about enabling and, you know, and encouraging um, and making it as easy as possible for savers to engage um, with with their pension um, mm. and, and to know what it is that they're going to have, you know, mm. what, that they need to know whether they're going to have at the end of the day, you know, a, 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 a decent pair of running shoes or, or not, essentially. Mm. And that's. Uh, and that's dependent on on how their how their pension pot is, is being is being managed, and and they they need to they need to know um, what that what that looks like. So I think service is a really important part of it, um, mm. and that is the bit that obviously that's the bit that the saver interacts with, um, and will be will be a driver of um, what their experience is um, of pensions, um, and that might also be a driver. I mean, if we We've had um, mentions of you know an evolving, or perhaps evolving might be might not be strong enough a word, but you know a kind of switch to to a different um, to a different approach to uh, the way that uh, that people go into pension saving and, and perhaps you know moving moving more towards a kind of stapling model where actually you know that the, the saver has that one pot with them for their for their entire mm-hmm. entire career. Um, and so if that's the case, and if, and if we do move more towards the kind of Australian model where people are generally much more engaged with what mm. they've got, it's, you know, then, um, then, then we need to make sure that, uh, that we can facilitate savers engaging in that way um, and that mm. they get that service and they get access to that information to, to, help, them, to help them shape what they want at retirement. Yeah. Do, do, do you think we'll get to that model, Lou? I think, well, I think... We're in a very different. We're we're at a very different starting point. I yeah, think, from yeah. where you know other countries, other countries were when when they when they set we wouldn't out necessarily these roads. St- I, we, we wouldn't necessarily start from here, would we? <laughs> no, no, I think that's that's probably fair to say. Um, and I think you know, obviously, it's not it's not a short term solution, but I mm. can see it being I, I can see it being a realistic alternative um, yeah. over time. I think you know with, with the with the increasing um and absolutely necessary work being done um to kind of consolidate small pots um i think i think it's it's you know it's almost a natural progression that if actually we're just kind of along the way um, amalgamating pots then why not just do that from the beginning yeah 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 and if we build the technology if we build the infrastructure to do the small pots yeah then a lot of things could flow from that um but potentially not if we scope it if we scope it too small to begin with, then it might be another one of these sort of awkward <laughs> five-year implementations um, yeah. to, to kind of expand its remit. Um, I wanted to come on to, I'm, I'm going to call it your pet topic, Darren. Um, My pet topic? Yeah, yeah, which dashboards. Oh. Um, uh-huh. Am I right in calling it your pet topic? I like I like a good convo about a dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how, how are you, uh, how's the sort of feeling about dashboard and obviously there's been sort of stop start uh, on it. Um, it. Are you guys kind of hopeful that that's going to be uh, accelerated again maybe by, by uh, future regimes? 
yeah so I, I think um we we've been we you know we've been kind of analyzing what 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 it means for us in terms of you know the sort of new approach um to to the connection deadlines um for for pensions dashboards i think you know a lot of a lot of our key work that we've been doing before remains absolutely you know unchanged mm-hmm. in in the sense that we're very focused on making sure that um the data issues mm. are addressed because you know that that has to be the priority i think is making there's no point you can have the most all singing all dancing pensions dashboard in the world but if you've got you know rubbish data going into it then it's not going to serve savers at all um in mm. fact it could be very damaging to them yep. so um so we're very focused on on making sure that um that that those issues are are addressed um you know and and we've now got a situation where in terms of our regulatory um, ability to kind of enforce connection with with dashboards, um, it looks different now. You know, with with just the kind of single um, connection date set in law. Yeah. However, you know, we we will be we will be working very hard, and uh, we'll be making sure that um, trustees are absolutely aware of of the guidance um, mm. that that is going to be that is going to set out. You know, when when they should be aiming for for connection. Um, and we will be we will be taking a hard line if we don't think that um, that those that trustees are um, having due regards to that guidance. We would yeah. want that we would want to have you know very good explanations as to why they were not um, they were not doing what what the guidance says they should do. Mm-hmm. Um, albeit that you know it's it, it's not something that by the strict letter of the law. Um, that, 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 they, that they have to do. Yeah. Um, so I think you know the, the kind of shape of our, our um, communications and and the kind of shape of the engagement that we're go- that um, that we were planning is is going to change a bit. But but you know we're we're still focused on the same outcomes as that making sure that you know savers are able to engage with a dashboard that gives them um, accurate um, and helpful information at the time that uh, at the time that they need it. So um, and, and you know we do we do hope that you know. Uh, we've, I mean, I think now the timeline needs to stay the same. I think any more messing with the timeline isn't going to be helpful, you know, whether that's accelerating it or otherwise. I think yeah. it's about now, right, everybody's got the goal to focus on. We're going to have a plan set out for us along the way to reach that, and that's what we need to stick to. And and in terms of, so, so you focus quite a lot on inputs there, yeah? And, um, you know, I 100% agree, rubbish in, rubbish out, yeah? Um, getting the data sorted, getting the connection sorted is going to be really important. Um, you know, what's what's the regulator's view? Or what's your thinking on how dashboards can you know evolve and how dashboards can be best used um, to help people? Um, but also, you know, um, what some of the risks are that you're looking to mitigate? Yeah, so I, I think you know, obviously, there's been lots of debate around what you know what the dashboards could do. You know, can mm. can savers you know consolidate all their pensions at the push of a button, or um, or you know take it take, hit a button to, to to you know automatically go down a particular retirement pathway, for example. And I mm. think you know there are you you can kind of see the attractiveness of some of those things, but there are also lots of risks attached to that. And I think it it kind of comes back to our earlier conversation about the need for there to be proper. Um, support, advice, and guidance in place um, to to help people decide what to do. And if actually, yeah. you know, they've then got a mechanism by which they can do it that is a lot slicker, then then great. But there needs to be that education and support and guidance um, before that point. Yeah. Very interesting. 
very interesting. I think we're coming towards time, aren't we, Darren? We are, we are. Um, um, does, Lou, is there anything else you wanted to kind of pick up on that we, we, haven't, we haven't managed to ask you about? Um, no, I think um, coming back to, to the kind of news story that we were talking about at the beginning on the, on the climate scenarios, I think um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to, you know, kind of say this is something that, you know, TPR is interested in. Um, and we had already actually before before these reports were published um, committed to to doing a thematic review that was looking at the kind of resilience of climate scenarios. Right. Um, and and just to say, you know, that we have we have uh, also done some work on this. So, for example, our webinar with the um, IMF um, and Bank of England um, on TCFD reporting, which did look at scenarios as well, including a kind of, you know, climate Minsky kind of moment. Um, mm -hmm. That, uh, that, that the kind of tipping point that is is kind of referenced in in those reports. So so yeah, to just say you know this is something we'll be looking at further. Um, I think that's the first time anyone said Minsky moment on this podcast. Yeah, I might just spend ten seconds just explaining that. So um, such this is uh, this is uh, I think it's Hyman Minsky, he's an economist in the in the sixties and seventies, um, who points out that. Uh, markets uh, don't move linearly, that they can have these big, big shifts. Um, and, you know, we saw that last year in September with the Kamikaze budget and uh, the rapid deleveraging of the, the kind of pensions LDI guilt market. Mm. Um, so, yeah, this Minsky moment is this sort of, it's the, it's the dam breaking behind some sort of pent up, pent up pressure. Um, and actually things move incredibly quickly when you potentially at least prepared so yeah, yeah that's uh, good to get a name check for for minsky uh, but <laughs> I, I suspected that our listeners might not not all of them would understand that so i, I just wanted to put that in an educational podcast as well nico oh <laughs> well uh, it, you know, know an hour spent with me darren as you know well yeah i know um, <laughs> tell Always me about learning. it tell me about it so 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 so, so lou just um you know, there's there's lots of activity in the pension space at the moment. Mm. Yeah, um, lots of consultations from the DWP, lots of engagement from the regulator. Now, how is the industry meant to cope with all this stuff? Yeah, we you know we 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 completely understand it is it is tricky to, to kind of you know deal deal with all of these things. But I think you know there are links between all oh of massively them. yeah, and yeah. I think they they are all important issues that I think. You know, uh, hopefully, you know, industry welcomes these these debates being had, e even if even if they may not appreciate the timing necessarily. But yeah. um, uh, so, but yeah, I think um, you know, for some organisations, it will be about kind of prioritising what are the what are the kind of key things that they really want to engage with. But but we hope that you know there will be plenty of opportunities for views to be fed in yep. um, across all of these pieces. So you know, it, it, it won't just be about you know, sort of submitting written consultation responses. There should yep. be opportunities for um, their views to be fed in other ways as well. Cool. I think um, we actually submitted um, for the original VFM consultation, Nico. We actually submitted a <laughs> podcast as our response, didn't we? We did. We did. <laughs> you did indeed. I think I think our team might say a, a, an accompanying transcript might be helpful for future. Oh, we did. <laughs> well, we, we did. We did. How helpful it actually was, yeah. I think, is <laughs> it's debatable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was certainly a break from the norm, which is always nice. So. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent, Luke. Thank you very much. Um, yes, thank great, you. great to chat and great to um, hear about all the good stuff that you're doing um, down in Brighton. Um, you know, um, and wish you all the best, um, both in your running 
um, <laughs> and but 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 also in 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 seeing a number of these initiatives through, I think um, as you said, they're they're all important stuff, you know, um, and 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 it's good that we've, we've got such a proactive agenda in pensions at the moment. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome, thank you very Darren. much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, Darren, what what have you got coming up? Um, summer, Nico. Summer. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm on holiday next week, which will be good. I'm going to have a very chilled out time, and I'm just going to spend um, August sort of planning, and um, you know, just just getting in good in good shape for the autumn. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I've not got a huge amount coming up myself. Uh, uh, the election to the IFA Council is still open, so uh, if you have a vote and you haven't voted yet, please do consider me. Um, and uh, yeah, if you if you look on LinkedIn, then I've uh, kind of recommended a couple of the other candidates as well, so that that would be much appreciated. Um, but yeah, I think sort of it's just, it's, we're getting into silly season in the news as well, aren't we? We so, are. Uh, we are. It's going to be interesting to see what comes up over the the break of Commons and Lords. Uh, in, but, indeed. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Well, I think that's that's us on time. Uh, Lou, thank you very much. Absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, and um, we'll, 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 it's, it's, it's great that our listeners continue to 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 to, to, to tune in. I think we're at about something like six thousand five hundred downloads down. Okay, so oh. we're obviously doing something right. Yes, yes. Or there's a Russian bot somewhere who's... Uh, <laughs> no, don't repeatedly. say that. Don't say that. <laughs> um, so next week, I think you and I are going to do a special to talk about the consultation response. We are. Um, so we won't have a guest and uh, you'll be away somewhere. Indeed. Um, and uh, yeah, so looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, so I think that's, that's that. So thank you, Luke. That's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And Lou? And goodbye from me. <laughs> Thank you very much.